Ministering the church can be life-giving and life-changing. And in the midst of it, we all need faithful companions along the road. Welcome to Along the Road, a podcast on faith and leadership for ministry leaders of the PCUSA. Hello, church people. My name is Valerie Izumi, and I am guest hosting for Manuel Silva Esterich for the next four episodes of Encounter. On today's encounter, we will be taking a deeper dive into the foundations of Presbyterian polity, complexifying the story of full participation and dispelling some common misconceptions. Siblings, you may not have your book of order handy, so let me read to you from the Foundations of Presbyterian Polity, F10403. The unity of believers in Christ is reflected in the rich diversity of the church's membership. In Christ, by the power of the Spirit, God unites persons through baptism, regardless of race, ethnicity, age, sex, disability, geography, or theological conviction. There is therefore no place in the life of the church for discrimination against any person. The Presbyterian Church USA shall guarantee full participation and representation in its worship, governance, and emerging life to all persons or groups within its membership. No member shall be denied participation or representation for any reason other than those stated in this constitution. Friends, our guest today is the Reverend Jihan Oh, Director of Mid-Council Ministries and Associates Data Clerk in the Office of the General Assembly. Jihan, welcome to Along the Road. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Valerie. It's good to be here. So F10403 says... There is therefore no place in the life of the church for discrimination against any person. The Presbyterian Church USA shall guarantee full participation and representation in its worship, governance, and emerging life to all persons or groups within its membership. No member shall be denied participation or representation for any reason other than those stated in this constitution. Chihan, uh, so representation, diversity, equity, inclusion, participation, these are words that we hear often and sometimes we use them interchangeably, but they have different meanings. So can you tell us how they differ? Yeah, thanks, Valerie. So um, two that I want to sort of highlight are diversity and inclusion, We do, which we do often use interchangeably. Um, and the um, instrument that in the sort of the framework that I lean into for this is the intercultural development inventory and the uh, intercultural development continuum, which we've been using in OGA and along um, with some of the work that we're doing with our mid councils. And in that framework, um, diversity is really uh, the the um, who, um, the what of a group. Um, and so who's in their group? What are the demographics of those folks? And it's really about counting those demographic data that we're looking at to see whether we have a diverse mix of people um, in that group. But inclusion then is really about how that mix of folks are experiencing community, uh, that group, that sense of belonging, their voice mattering, and um, and how they actually are um, included in the processes that are being undertaken, whether that's worship or governance. 
or what have you. And so inclusion um, really is that experience of the who. And so that's the um, thing that's being measured in inclusion. And, and the IDI, um, the Intercultural Development Inventory, uh, would say that how you actually move from just counting numbers and, and setting up the table in such a way that there's a possibility for folks to be heard is to actually have this intercultural competence um, that then moves it from just having folks show up at the table to really being um to matter for those folks mattering and being heard and feeling like they're they matter to the group and that their voices matter to the discussion at hand. You know, we are working toward an intercultural competency in the OGA in the Office of the General Assembly. And we often use the term mindset in our IDI work. So what do we mean when we say mindset in this context? Yeah, so I think the mindset, at least in the ways that the IDI talks about it, is really how we approach the world, um, the sorts of assumptions that we're making, the sorts of shortcuts that we may be taking, um, and, and the level of openness that we have in terms of engaging and appreciating and being able to um, account for the similarities and the differences that we encounter in the world. And so I think when we talk about diversity and inclusion and equity and um, full participation, we're often really working on the mechanics. We're working on the demographic counting and we're working on the access issues, uh, you know, taking a look at um, locations and uh, making sure that folks can actually get into the building and into the places and spaces that they need to, um, as well as being able to access the technology and those sorts of things. So we're often working on the mechanic, but the mindset is often the thing that when we actually start having those conversations or working on a project together or being in worship together, um, the mindset pieces may be the things that actually then are the final barriers mm -hmm. uh, to full participation. And so it's important, I think, to pay attention both to the mechanics and to the mindset of how we actually work towards full participation. Your point that mindset can be a barrier to full participation, even as we thoughtfully care for the community by attending to important logistical pieces, access, technology, and other mechanics is sobering. How can we open our mindset or break free from our mindset so we can move, uh, be more faithful in living out our values? That's a great question. Um, I think there are lots of ways that folks can do that. Um, but I rely a lot on um, the Romans passage that really um, is inviting us into a process of having our minds renewed uh, by God and through the work of the Holy Spirit. And whenever I read that passage, it makes me think about um, God's call and invitation to us to um, not be set in the ways that we think about ourselves or others or God, but that we be um, continually being um, invited into a sense of curiosity mm -hmm. to learn anew how we see ourselves, others, and God um, by by having our minds renewed. And so I think what the, some of the ways that we do that is to um, be curious when we're entering into conversations, be open to being surprised instead of making assumptions about folks and then um, locking them into those assumptions. Um, I think it's also an invitation for us to be in relationship with others who are different from us and similar from us, similar to us, so that we can continue reflecting on the ways in which um, we may be sometimes taking shortcuts to understanding people or making assumptions about people uh, who folks are. Um, so, um, you know, 
instead of sort of saying, oh, well, the demographics are asking us to consider, um, you know, like for folks might be looking at me and thinking, okay, so uh, sort of young-ish <laughs> in the context of our denomination, um, Asian American woman. Um, and then that being the sort of box in which I am, like I, if I were asked about who I was, I would say, um, I, you know, I'm a 40 something Asian American, Korean American woman. I'm a Asian American, um, 1.5 generation immigrant. I also grew up in the Midwest in Kansas. Um, and so that shaped some of my thinking. I was a biology major. And so I have this sort of science mindedness about the way that I approach the world. Um, I also, uh, you know, think about the world as an older sister of a younger brother and, um, and I'm a Gen Xer and all of those things that I think shapes the lens that I bring to a conversation with all the different values and priorities and roles and expectations that I bring into the conversation. And that when we have a diversity of that and we can be curious about where folks are coming from, then it helps us to rewire um, some of those pathways that have been set for us um, in terms of how we think about others and how we engage them and how we make space for folks to be fully who they are. You know, it's it's interesting. I introduce myself when I'm making presentations. You've heard me several times. I say, my name is Valerie Izumi. I'm a biracial Japanese and black queer woman, ruling elder of a certain age, living with a mobility disability. It's interesting that what I'm least comfortable putting forth when I introduce myself in a new space or with a new group is my age. Mm -hmm. That's why I say that I'm a woman of a certain age even though you can look at me and see that I have some age on me. And part of that is because of people's perceptions and stereotypes mm. that people of my age are not technologically savvy or that we are not capable of coming up with new and innovative and fresh ideas. And these are actually abilities and gifts that I have to offer and value. So often when I enter a new space, I'm entering with the assumption that I'm being received with that bias that mindset. Mm. You know, our capacity to deceive ourselves is limitless. And as you mentioned earlier, Jihan, even when we believe we are providing an inclusive environment where people can fully participate, our own or other or others' mindsets can create barriers to participation. So given that, what are ways in which we can see ourselves more clearly? Mm. Yeah, thanks for that question, Valerie. I think this is where that communal aspect of our relationship is so important and how we do this work together, that the the call to full participation and that invitation to full participation within the Peace USA is really about full participation in the body. It's about belonging together in a covenantal community of faith. And I think that essentially means that we we need to be helping one another to see more clearly, to see one another more clearly. And I think that's um and part of that is it's about accountability. Mm. And and the things that I think about when we're talking about accountability is there is certainly a place when when folks are um acting out of bad intent and um are legitimate bad actors that we need to name that and we need to um talk about consequences of those actions and the harm that it can produce. And at the same time, there's another way of thinking about accountability that is really about recognizing that um certainly 
even with a good intent, there can be bad impact. And we still have to talk about how we, we work with that and, and make sure that the, um, impact is addressed in a, in a way that is, um, helpful and restorative, but also recognizing that sometimes it's really um, about calling folks into better behavior mm-hmm. and saying we, we can do better and be better as um, as church together, as a covenantal community of faith. And so I think that part um, feels really important to me. And another thing that I've been thinking about accountability um, in terms of accountability recently is really because of a certain show about uh, an American football coach who goes to uh, coach a soccer team um, or a football team in in, in England. And um, in that show, uh, there's one episode where they're talking about accountability and accountability in the way that they talk about it is also about being able to own it, to apologize for it. And um and in my sort of interpretation of of those scenes, it's also about that response that is about restored relationship. And so that there is a response to accountability that is about the restoration of the relationship so that we can continue to be in covenantal community as one body together. Um, and those feel like really important aspects of accountability um, that we can bring, I think, to um, our relationships with one another in a faithful way, mm-hmm. uh, in a Christianly way. You know, you have me thinking, um, particularly with the example I shared earlier that I may have biases about how others perceive me and that affect my participation and how I perceive the group I'm entering. Mm-hmm. And my capacity to deceive myself is also limit limitless. And I need to take some accountability as well. Mm. So perhaps one way of handling that for me is to be able to say, look, here's my fear. I may not be taken seriously because of, you know, whatever. And I just want to put that out there so that people are aware. Mm. And I'm also thinking about a theological reflection I did some years ago on 1 Corinthians 12. You know, the various parts of the body and that we are one body. We are the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And it made me really ponder then and still sometimes now, what does it mean to be the body of Christ? Because I am a woman who's living with a chronic autoimmune disease that affects my joints, but could also affect other parts of my body at any time. My eyes, my lungs, my skin, other parts of my body might be affected. So how do I understand the body of Christ through that lens? Mm. The struggle to understand how my body and its limitations fit into the image of the church as the body of Christ. Mm. I think about that a lot. Mm. Part of that also is um, restoration and self-restoration, right? Mm -hmm. God has restored me and I need to receive that. And I should not look at myself as damaged Mm. because that energy could affect the group. Well, and of course, because I'm not damaged. But, but the energy could affect any group that I'm participating with. Mm. So I think it's important to look at ourselves too and have some kind of self-accountability so that we are engaging in restorative action of some sort in full participation. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's that's really rich, Valerie. And I think this is where I'm really thankful for the multiple images of that we have, um, that are, are biblical images that were offered to, to think about what it means for us to be church together. Mm-hmm. I think we often over rely on family 
and then sometimes that that sort of limits us in some ways because all all um right images all metaphors have their limitations um and this is where i'm really thankful that there are these sort of other images available to us and particularly the one about the body that part of i think this work um you know as you say is about self restoration it's about the the communal restoration it's about um recognizing that um, our, our bodies work really beautifully and wonderfully, but they're not perfect, mm -hmm. right? And as we age, as we, um, have illnesses that we, we, uh, wrestle with, um, that there are going to be parts of our body that need a little extra tending to, but we're not going to cut them off, right? right? That we're going to bring that along, bring those parts of our body along, um, in a, in a way so that we can sort of travel forward together. Um, again, full participation of each part of our body in the journey along the way, um, along the road. <laughs> um, and there's something I think important about that piece. Um, it, you know, and it could be not even just sort of an illness, but like, you know, sometimes we're going to make mistakes and stub our toes, right? And, and that this is an imperfect process, but it is a sanctifying process, perhaps. Mm. Um, that of that restores us to ourselves to one another and to god um and that that feels really whole, like holy work yeah. um to say that full participation is about um us fully belonging to ourselves to one another and to god um in the ways that we are a community together wow that's powerful right the three to ourselves to one another and to god Jihan, I'm so grateful to have had this conversation with you and to travel forward toward full participation, as you say, together in the journey along the way, along the road. But before you go, Jihan, though, do you want to say more about my realization that I may have a responsibility to make myself vulnerable so I can enter a space fully participating instead of leaving it to the group to be the one to figure it out? Yeah. Figure out what's going on? Yeah, thanks for that. Um and thanks for picking back that picking that back up again because I, I think my my brain was just firing when you said that. Um, it, it started making me wonder, like, what if we at the beginning of a meeting um, opened up a space for folks to be able to name um, not just the barriers that the group might be sort of setting, but really to name the places where we have ourselves have placed limitations on the ways that we're entering into the space that we've been able to participate, um, maybe the limitations that that we feel um, internally, and to be able to sort of um, be in a space of mutual accountability to um co-create that space together with the help of the Holy Spirit to to really allow folks to fully participate. I think that could be really powerful. That's great. Lots to think about. Yeah. I'm really excited that we'll continue our conversation with you in our next episode, which will be part two of this one. Thank you so much. Blessings to you, Jihan. Thank you, Valerie. It was so good to be with you. Friends, by understanding the unique meanings of the terms we talked about, and not conflating them, we can develop more effective strategies for ensuring representation and participation in our presbyteries, congregations, workplaces, and communities. Although this is the end of this episode, it's not the end of our journey along the road toward full participation and representation. We invite you to join us when we explore the theology of representation 
and the distinctiveness of representation work when Jihan joins me again, along with Anna Kendrick Flores and Eric Thomas, co-moderators of the GA Committee on Representation, for part two of our conversation on belonging together in a covenantal community of faith. That's next time. Until then, take good care, and we will see you along the road. Peace. This has been the Along the Road podcast. We look forward to crossing paths with you again soon. 